Okay, we are we are in Luke chapter 15, reading from verse 1. Luke chapter 15, reading from verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so it says in verse 1, that all the tax collectors and the sinners... So remember, sinners was a euphemism for prostitutes. That is used throughout the New Testament. So sinners was... Throughout the Gospel, sinners was a euphemism for prostitutes. So the tax collectors, and these generally were Jewish men, so that they knew what other Jews in their community made, what kind of money they made, and they would collect the taxes for the Roman government. And they were hated, not just because they were, in a sense, sold out to the Roman government, but they would often collect more than they were permitted to. And remember, that was what John the Baptist had reproved them for. He said, collect no more than you're supposed to be collecting. And so, it says that they were all coming to him. Now, it's not, it's not so amazing that Jesus went to sinners and to tax collectors. What the amazing thing is that they came to Jesus. That they felt comfortable enough with Jesus that they came to Him. That's the amazing thing. And it says, The Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, they're grumbling because they're saying, What's He doing receiving these sinners? Why is he doing this? And so let me read you a few of the rules of the Pharisees that are actually recorded uh, for us, and still we can see these today. The Pharisees were never, the Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders, were never to buy or sell anything from tax gatherers or prostitutes. They were never to eat at their table lest something they ate had not been tithed upon first. So, it's, it's not for us to assess whether a person has tithed, someone else's tithed, to assess whether we should partake with them, but that was one of their rules. They were never to invite, never to be invited to the table of a Pharisee to eat unless they would convert and be dressed properly. They were never to do anything with a tax gatherer sinner that might bring up a rule of purification lest they be convicted and come for cleansing. So it's a very strange thing, that they didn't want them to come for cleansing. So they said, don't even bring up the issues of of purity with them. And they even went so far as to say, there is joy before God when those who provoke Him perish from the earth. God rejoices when they die. So that was their view. Of, of, of these people, and so they're grumbling. In a sense, it's because they, they're thinking, if Jesus were really a religious person, He would know what type of people they are, and He would not partake with them. But again, Jesus observed the law perfectly, the Mosaic law, but not the laws that were put together by men. And so, Jesus breaks this whole thing down. And if you think about it, we get, we get thoughts about what's right and what's wrong in the church. And, and uh, we put those up as if they're commandments. So, 
it used to be, say, 30 years ago that, that um, certainly if you were a Baptist, you would never dance. And I know that some of that ha- has gone away, but, but dancing was considered sin. In fact, uh, 50 years ago, if you went to a movie, that was considered going to a cinema. Going to a cinema was sin. Uh, if you went to a bowling alley, that was sin. It was called playing pins. If you went to a bowling alley. In fact, many, uh, uh, even, even as recent as 25 or 30 years ago, if you went to a Christian university, you might find a game of Monopoly, but there would not be a set of dice in there. They would have a spinner. And you'd spin that twice to be equivalent of what your, your two dice would be because playing dice was evil because gamblers used dice. Okay, so things change and times change. You know, it used to be that, that if you ever played cards, it didn't matter what the game was. If you ever played cards, it was a sin. Now you can go to many Baptist churches and you can get a deck of cards with the name of the Baptist church on the back. So times change. But you see, these were all rules of men and they go away. So, so Jesus, as a result of this, he tells them three parables. So he speaks three parables to address this. The first parable he told them was of, of about a man who had a hundred lost sheep. Uh, I'm sorry, a hundred sheep and one of them was lost. This man goes out, the shepherd goes out and he finds, he leaves the 99 and he finds the one sheep that had been lost. And if you look down, if you look down in uh, uh, verse 7, it says, And I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So remember, this is in response to their grumbling. So he's associating the scribes and the Pharisees with the 99, the righteous persons who have no need of repentance, who feel that they have no need of repentance, and he's rejoicing over the ones that were lost. And then he goes and he tells them a story about a lost coin, a woman who had ten silver coins, she loses one of them somewhere in the house, and then she searches all over, she finds it, and she rejoices over that one she lost. And so this is, this is characteristic of Jesus going out and finding the, the lost sheep and bringing them in, and then characteristic of the Holy Spirit within the kingdom, finding those who have drifted away, but they're still in the kingdom, and finding them and bringing them back and rejoicing over it. But what I want to focus on then is the third parable. So he tells them three parables as a result of this. The third parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And we'll focus in on that in verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. 
I will get up and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So, looking back up at verse 11... It says that there was this man, he had two sons. And we're going to hear about these two sons. And both, both of his sons had problems. And uh, uh, the younger of his sons said to him, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, that's a very strange request. The father's very much alive. This is like saying to your father, drop dead so that I can have your money. It is really a humiliating thing. To say, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So being the younger son, he gets a third of the estate. And the older son gets two-thirds because the older son in Israel always got a double portion of what the other kids got. So if you've got two kids, you split it into three. The older son is going to get two-thirds. The younger son, one-third. So it says the father, father, it says uh, uh, in verse, verse 12, it says, so he divided his wealth between them. So he gave two-thirds to the older, one-third to the younger. Again, look at the rebellion in this young man's life. No respect for his father. He's telling his father, I I just want your money. As far as I'm concerned, you can drop dead. Very strange thing. I remember we were sitting around with my brother and sister, and I were sitting around with my mom and dad, and we were joking, and we said to my dad, so how much money are you going to leave us in your will? And he says, oh, I'm going to leave you all of my bills. This is what I'm going to leave you. But, but it's, it's a very strange thing. This man is demanding the money back. The, the money that, that his father's not yet dead, but the father gives it to him. Look at what the father does. He just gives it to him. Sometimes we have to be careful what we ask for in the Lord. The Lord might give it. And it says, so he divided between them, and not many days later, in verse 13, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. So you see, what he did is he went, it says, not many days. So it was a matter of days. It wasn't even months. It wasn't years. He had this all calculated. He wanted to take that money and go to another place. Maybe he thought that he could be very productive with it. You know, when you start squandering, it slips away very easily. I remember I was, I was looking at, uh, uh, once I was looking at my, my, my nano retirement account. And, and uh, um, my son came up while I was at the computer and he said, so what are you doing? And I said, Here, here's my retirement account. Here's how much interest it made this year. He looks at it and he goes, oh, I could do better than that. I said, what do you mean? He said, I could make at least 50% interest a year. You could. I said, do you know how many people are paid to, to bring high returns on this invested money 
who think about this, you might be able to bring it one year, but you're going to lose more than that the next. I mean, it's high risk. So I could do it. So what I did is I went out, I gave him $1,000. He put in $1,000 of his own. And we went out, we got a Scott Trade account. He was only like 14 years old. And, uh, uh, and he started investing it. I don't know how little it got to, but it was somewhere around $400 in no time at all. So he, I think he learned a good lesson. I mean, it's, 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 you know, you're going to live risky, you can lose a lot. Well, this young man took his money and it says he went to a distant country and he squandered his estate with loose living. And we'll find out later on, he spent it on prostitutes. He went to a distant country. This is a very common thing. Men will go to a faraway country and they'll fall into sin. It is not unusual. Businessmen, you, you speak to some uh, uh, guys who work for oil companies. They get sent overseas for periods of time. And I've had young men come back to me and said, this is amazing. Here I'm traveling with these married men and they're going out with prostitutes in these foreign countries. This is not unusual that when a person leaves from their home that they think that they can sin and nobody's going to know. But I assure you, God knows. And as the scriptures say, surely your sin will find you out. But this is a caution to us. If you think, oh, this would never happen to me. You are the one that it's most likely to happen to. If that's your attitude. You should be saying, Lord, help me. Lord, protect me. So that when I travel, I do not fall into sin. When I travel, I'm away from my spouse and I do not fall into sin. When the temptations come around you, that you don't fall into sin. He goes into a distant country and he squanders his estate with loose living. In verse 14, now when he had spent everything, listen to that, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. How convenient. Just when he spent everything, God said, famine time. <laughs> and it wasn't just a famine, it said it was a severe famine. He had nothing. He was impoverished. Remember, he had servants in his house at home, as we're going to see. And now he becomes impoverished. And this is what happens. You start moving away from the Lord and people will get into the world. Hey, this is not so bad. And I've seen this many times. And say, well, I say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You going somewhere? And they, well, no, I, I mean, I have, I have other friends. I say, okay, all right. You, know, you don't have to get defensive about it. Let's, let's sit down and talk about your other friends. They start telling me, I say, are these friends of yours believers? No, but I find a lot of good qualities in them. I say, okay, all right. Tell me about some of these great qualities. Well, they're fine people. I say, okay, I'm sure they are. Tell me about uh, some of their relationships and how things are going. And all of a sudden, things get start to break down. And then what happens is I see these, these folks, and I'll meet with them again, and their lives are slowly falling apart and becoming unraveled. You cannot go from the kingdom of God and back into the world without your life unraveling. You think, oh, well, you know, believe, unbelievers do it. I mean, I can mess around with that. Not when you've tasted of the grace of God. You slip back into it and a severe famine is going to hit. And you will begin to go into this death spiral. And I've seen it many times. 
And it says, so he went, in verse 15, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. This is so disgusting to a Jew. You were not to have anything to do with pigs, and here he has to now feed pigs. Just, just to put this in context, I don't know, uh, Americans don't like snakes, generally. It's like you have to go and feed, you know, broods of, of snakes. You have to go amongst them and feed them. I mean, think of the most disgusting thing, or roaches, I mean, that you have to feed them. This is what it was like for this young man. And look what he does. He hires himself to, out to one of the citizens of the country. You would think that the severe famine hits, he's broke, he's going to think, oh, I've got to go home now. No, he hires himself out to one of the people of that country. And I see the same sort of thing happens. So, say a young lady will get all entrapped with the world and her life is just unraveling and falling apart. What does she do? She hooks up with a man of that same caliber of the world, thinking that, oh, somehow he'll get me out of this mess. But he only causes her to be encumbered with more mess. And he treats her like dirt. I'm like, just leave him. Get out of there. Come back to the church, the body of Christ. But the tendency is to get involved with it. A man will leave sometimes his family and think, oh, I'm going to go out and, and just enjoy the world. And then things start to fall apart in his life. Just start to fall apart. And then he marries this woman out in the world, and, and it's like, wow. And then this woman is running around on him. I'm thinking, well, what do you expect? She ran around with you. You think now that you married her, she's going to stop running around? And now she's running around on him and, and, and leaving him. And you'd think that they'd want to come back at this point. And it says and in verse 16, <clears throat> and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything no one was giving anything to him he was so hungry he wished he had the food that the pigs were eating and this is what it's like in the world you think the world is going to be great and that's what this young man thought oh you know I'll just leave this protected area where my father's always looking over my shoulder how terrible this is and now he's out in the world. And I'll tell you, the world can be a very hard taskmaster. Especially on one who has tasted of the kingdom of God. Satan will really ratchet it down on you. And he had nothing. He was absolutely starving. And finally, thank God, he comes to his senses. And this is the relation that Jesus is speaking about. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He says, these are the ones who have come to their senses and they're coming and they're hearing me. These tax gatherers, these prostitutes. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go with my father and <clears throat> go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So actually, this is not total repentance, but it's sufficient. None of us totally repents of all of this. 
None of us totally repentant. Because he says, I'll go to my father and I'll say, make me as one of your hired men. He doesn't say, make me as one of your slaves. And we know he had slaves because we're going to see in the next portion. He says, make me as, this is what he thought, make me as one of your hired men and pay me. Well, you know, that's good enough. Come on back. But you see there, it's, it's not total. Or else he would have said, make me like one of your slaves. He says, make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Just look at the picture of God. Look at the picture of the father. It says, when he was a long way off, the father sees him. How do you recognize somebody from a long way off? Well, I can recognize my son's from very far away, just by the way they walk. You, know, you, you learn their gait. You learn how, just how they carry themselves. And you recognize them. From a long way off. You, and, and look what, and he says, it, he felt compassion for him. He sees him and he, he's not rising up and saying, uh-oh, here he comes. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll really make him feel it to come back. You know, he wants to come back here. Well, he's going to have to pay for it. He's going to get a piece of my mind. No, none of that. It says, he saw him, he felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him. Middle Eastern men don't run. I know Americans run all the time. Middle Eastern men don't run. Now, maybe in the young generation they might jog for health or something, but you don't, met, Middle Eastern men, it is a disgrace to run. It's against their dignity to run. They don't run. This man ran to his son. Remember, he's a, he's a landowner and everything. He's given his estate away, and he is running to them, to this boy. He is not ashamed to associate with this son of his who has squandered his wealth with prostitutes. He is not ashamed to be with him. His love was there. He was not going to be ashamed of his son. Remember that when you have a child and they do something that disgraces you. Don't be ashamed of them. Let them know your love. It says, he says he ran, he embraced him and he kissed him. Imagine how this guy must have smelled. He had been working with swine he had lost everything for who knows how long until the, finally his pride was so depressed. But he had not showered. He had not bathed. His clothes were tattered and torn. He had been in the mud. Pigs live in mud. His father came and hugged him, embraced him, and kissed him. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now remember, there was a whole other part where he was going to say, make me like one of your hired servants. It says, but the father said, so the father cut him off. Enough! But the father said to the, his slaves, so you see, this father had slaves. Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Give him exactly what he had when he left this place. Put a robe on him so they know he's my son. Put that... That, that ring of authority which he had when he left, which he probably squandered that to put it on him and put sandals on his feet. My son's not going barefoot. 
Bring out the fattened calf. So, so you'd always have a calf that you're fattening up for some occasion that would be ready. You know, we, we keep food in the freezer. You know, some guests come and you're shooting and cook this. They kept the fattened calf. Get, that, get the fat calf and kill that thing. We're having a party here. And, and uh, um, he killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. Look how the father received him. The father received him back so openly and willingly. I read a book. There's this book on the, uh, another book on the prodigal son. But this guy tracked people's lives. People who walked away from the Christian faith. And some come back to the Christian faith and some don't. And he went and he interviewed them. What made you come back? Why did you not come back? In every case, when people wandered away for years and then came back, in every case, their family welcomed them back with open arms. In every case where they didn't come back to the Christian faith after leaving, their family had put stipulations. If you come back, you're going to do this and this and this and this. When you set this bar, if he wants to come back and be my son, he's going to have to earn it. That's fine. He's not coming back. Remember that when you're a parent and your children go in a way of rebellion. You always keep your heart open. And what if they should go into a lifestyle that so turns your stomach? You welcome them back. And you hug them and you kiss them and you give them a sense that I will always love you. And I tell my kids, no matter whatever happens in your life, just remember, you are my child and I will always love you. I will always love you because you're my child and that cannot change. And I've repeatedly told them that throughout their lives. You're my child that cannot cannot change, and so I will always love you. You always welcome them back. So then if they should come back for Christmas, and they're just feeling it out here, you know, what would it be like i come back? You welcome them as if they had never left, and you love them and you kiss them. You welcome them back. And that's how you win them back. That's how you win them back. Not by putting stipulations upon them. This man willingly received them back. And it says, in verse, in verse um, let's see, in ver- verse 24, he says, For this son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So he's rejoicing with this boy. Now in verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and he said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected the command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him, and you said to him, and, 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 he said, and he said to him, Son, so the father said to him, Son, 
you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. So you see, he has two sons with problems. Remember, this first son was the analogous to these tax gatherers and prostitutes coming. This older son is the analogy to the Pharisees and the scribes. And it says, when the older son was in the field, he comes in, he hears this dancing, and he says to one of the servants, he says, what's going on? He says, your brother came back, and your father killed the fatted calf, and uh, uh, they're celebrating because he's received them back, safe and sound. It says, but the older son became very angry, not, became angry, and he was not willing to go in. So he's having a hissy fit. He's sitting outside. I'm not going in. You ever get like that with your parents? Come on. No, I'm not going to do that. This is, this is my life, really. I mean, I do this all the time. And, and uh, he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. So his father didn't say, oh, well, lousy son, and go back into the party. The father goes outside. Now he's got to start working on this son. And, it, and, and so, so uh, it says that the father came out and began pleading with him. Look at the picture of a father. Would you please come in? It's not like, you are my son. I am your father in the house. <laughs> no, I mean, he's pleading with him. Come in, my son. Come in. Look at the picture of God pleading with him to come in. And he answered, he says, look. Now, when somebody starts saying to you, they're start, look, that's like, you know, it's a jab. <laughs> if somebody starts speaking and they say that word, look, it's like you are totally oblivious to the whole issue. That's what it means. Look, for so many years I've been serving you, I have never neglected a command of yours. Trust me, nobody never neglects a single command of a father. That doesn't happen in a family. That doesn't happen in a family. Nobody neglects a single, uh, never neglects a single command. It just doesn't happen. So, so um, he. But this is the view of the Pharisees. Look, we've obeyed everything. And he says, he says uh, I've never neglected a command of yours. And then the father doesn't start recounting, oh, well, let me start counting all the ones that you made. How about the one that, where I'm asking you to come in right now? How's that first thought? <laughs> and yet, you have never given me a young goat. Look, you give him a fattened calf. You know, that's going to grow into a bull. You've never even given me a goat. This is what he says. You've never even given me a goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. What about me? It's all about me. What about me and my friends? But when this son of yours, it's not my brother, that son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, let me remind you of his sin. We're really good at reminding God of other people's sins. Right? Let me remind you of that guy's sins. You've killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. This older son, first of all, he had two-thirds of the estate already. 
He already had two-thirds of the estate. He says, everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. The problem, the problem is that he's never appropriated, he's never realized whose house he's in. He said, you've always been with me. I see so many believers that think that they're doing a great thing by never praying and asking God for anything. You know, God, I, I, don't, I don't ask anything from you. Okay. And you know what I say to that? Lord, whatever they could have had and they don't want, I'll take it. I'll take it. You don't want God's blessing? Fine. I'll take it. This is what happens in big families. When you have a big family, go visit a family where they have like eight, ten, twelve kids. You know, you never see a kid sitting at the table thinking, I don't want to eat today. I'm not hungry. This happens when you have an only child. Please eat. Please eat. You're in a big family. You go, I don't want to eat today. The other one goes, oh, fine. It's gone. They just take it. He says, everything I have is yours. You could have had so much. You wanted a party with your friends? You could have had it. You've always been with me. But as far as this brother, this son of mine, verse 32, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours. Remember, he's reminding him, he is your brother. These tax gatherers and prostitutes, those are your brothers, those are your sisters. This brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Remember, if you start drifting away from the Christian faith, after tasting the goodness of God and the community of the body of Christ, I am not a prophet, but I will tell you this day, because I am a scientist, I just look at data points, and I have lots of examples of people who have drifted away, and your life will become miserable. And in a decade or two decades later, you will wish you had never left. And you will see those who have never left and see their lives and say, I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had children like them. If you drift away from the Christian faith, fear God. Fear God. Because the world is a difficult taskmaster. Come to your senses quickly. Come to your senses quickly before you do irreparable harm to yourself. If you've never come to the Christian faith, Jesus invites you in. Don't wait. Don't wait any longer. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life and forgive me. And He will come in. He will come in. Don't sit outside. He says, all that I have is yours. You could have had it all. And you want to appropriate nothing. He says, you could have had it all. This is what He offers us this day. And when you are a parent, remember, your home, your heart, and your love must always be for your child. No matter where they go, no matter what they drift into, that might even be disgusting to you, that is your child. And you love them to the end. And that will always bring them back. Let's pray.
Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. It is so good. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for all You've blessed us with. And Father, I pray for these young people that before they ever drift away from the Christian faith, that they would take heart and see the picture of how oppressive the devil will be to them. And Father, I pray that they would come to their senses quickly and run back to You. Father, for those who have never left, let them learn to appropriate all that has been given them in Christ, to learn to pray and enjoy the home that they have in Jesus Christ, in the body of Christ. Father, I pray that they'd learn to take up the Scriptures and pray and ask of God that they could receive good gifts from the Father of Light. Father, that they would be careful about what they would ask for, that it would not be for selfish ambition, lest it might be given to them. And Father, I pray for those here who will one day be parents, that they would remember this message and keep their hearts and their attitudes and their homes open, always open to their children, to love them to the very end, to hug them and kiss them, no matter what their children have been through. Father, I pray that they would reach out, reach out and be parents that would always welcome their children back. Let them remember this message, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.